we're heading back to the heady days of 2006. Some might even describe them as our glory days. It's all things salt burn on this episode of that song from that movie. Ask me a sum. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, ask me a fucking sum. <laughs> uh, what, two what plus it, like two? 57 times 18 or something. <laughs> I can't remember uh, I don't know, at least 12. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your bathtub-licking host, oh, Dietrich. And as always, joining us is someone who has a complete and utter horror of ugliness, Alex. <laughs> That's why it's good this isn't uh, a YouTube uh, podcast. <laughs> Strictly voice. Strictly vocal. We have tried and the feedback was not good. <laughs> Alex had a long list of notes for me and Ben. <laughs> we have to definitely work on our aesthetic before we move into that territory. We got three YouTube strikes in one video. <laughs> And completing the lineup is a man so lovely and dry, Ben. Uh, yeah, is that a backhanded compliment? I don't think it's meant as a negative Being thing. Being dry, I don't know. Lovely and dry. I mean, my eczema does. I am very dry. Okay, that's drag one. <laughs> Damn it! It's not a visual podcast. You can't see the eczema. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know in the past fortnight what have you been watching? Now, for the first time in a long time, we've recorded fairly close to each other, so I'm eager to see if you've actually seen more movies. Usually get you get the three-week buffer, you two. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to go first, then? Go. I watched the movie Rustin on Netflix. Rustin? Come on, Ben. You've not seen Rustin. Come on, Alex. Jump on. Jump on. Maybe short to learn that I've also not... I don't have no idea what this is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, Barack and Michelle Obama-produced film about... One of the people responsible for the March on Washington. Straight rusty. Really fantastic film. It's, it's one of those films where when you've finished, you go, I could have happily watched another hour of that. Ooh. Just a fascinating movie about this person. I very rarely say that about any film because of my attention span. Do you know what? I did, I did know roughly about this because it, it was a question on Only Connect a couple of weeks ago. And thank God the video nasties are out. That's a Only Connect reference. Not, not, not related to the film. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I watched. And it's, yeah, fantastic. Recommend. Seven thumbs up. Seven thumbs up. Andy Lau recommended. <laughs> go on, go on, Al. Um, I, you, yeah, I have not watched any films. You've not given me a big enough window. No, have I? I have, no, I have, no, I have, I have watched one film, and it is the film that we're reviewing tonight. And actually, it was me watching it that spawned this episode, so it's not my it was. That's fair. fault. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. So I have been watching a lot of TV, though. I've been watching a lot of Slow Horses, which I would recommend. To everybody. It's got Gary Oldman. Is that like a... I thought it was a new um, song by that What's-Her-Face. The lady that was did not have good um, physical features and therefore she did really well in Britain's Got Talent. Susan Boyle? Susan oh, because she did, cause she did a one. cover of Wild Horses. Wild Horses, that was the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah Slow Horses. Subo, that was it. I can't remember what, what her name wow. was. Um, no, it's called Slow Horses. It's, it's a TV show on Apple. I have never, ever had got Apple Plus. Is it worth it? There's some good stuff on there, e.g. Slow Horses. Sponsors? Um, there's a TV show called Severance, which we watched three episodes of, which seemed like it was going to be really good, but we never watched the rest of it, so that is such a sort of example of modern media, of that, like, oh, I actually quite liked the show, never finished it. Yeah, it was like that. Um, the thing, the good thing about Apple TV, Apple TV, I think is actually called, is you can get a seven-day trial and watch all of Slow Horses within that period if you so choose, <laughs> so... I would recommend doing that. <laughs> Just for slow horses. 
Yes. Not for that. What's that football show that everyone talks about? Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Yeah, which I did try and watch once, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. It looks fine. <laughs> it looks fine. It was fine. But that's it. How about you, Ben? Have you been watching any films? I went to the cinema three days in a row, mm-hmm. and two of those days were seeing films I'd already seen. Okay. I saw The Boy and the Heron again just because I absolutely loved it so much the first time. Did you Did you see it by yourself both times? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Why, 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 why you got, why you got, why you got doing it like that, man? <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. The second time I saw it was in IMAX. Okay, but it's just, it's just that idea that you, you enjoyed it so much the first time. My, it made it. my tears feel that more real. <laughs> I had time to kill. Then I, on Monday night, I saw Blade Runner, the original, Final Cut, just because I, I, it must be some anniversary. It was in the cinema again. It's always in the cinema. And then I saw Ferrari, which was not good, and mm. that's ruined it, and that's why I've not gone four days in a row. <laughs> It didn't look good. No, no I saw the but... poster. <laughs> I was like, the clue is when it said "sky movie" yes. at the top. <laughs> it's never usually a good sign. I sometimes get lulled in by like, the Odeon app, where it's like, "Oh, there's loads of showings and that thing," and then I look the next week and like, oh, one showing. This is my last chance to see that film, so I'm going to go see the Beekeeper. Again, Sky Cinema <laughs> movie original. It is. There's a lot of those now going. Although that one does look like fun. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not sure. I mean, I think the next film is definitely Poor Things. That's got to be the ones everyone should be watching. Because yeah. I think it's like the Oscar yeah. frontrunner in it. It won the Golden Globe. Yeah, and not Mean Girls, because that looks poop. It's been getting decent reviews. Has it? I thought it's been getting naff reviews. I've only seen positive reviews. The, the, the annoyingly, on, they don't make it clear it's a musical in the trailer. Yes. I think more yeah. people need to know this. <laughs> yes. That um, little music note in the, the logo is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there has been a bit of a trend, hasn't there? Because Wonka was the same. They didn't make it clear that it was a musical Mean Girls. It's, it's a musical? Yeah. Yeah, and, I didn't even um, know it was a musical. <laughs> and The Colour Purple as well, because I've just done a musical version of The Colour Purple. And all three of them have not advertised That's a themselves. musical as well? Yeah. What the hell's going on here? Yeah, because Jesus mean, Christ. mean Girls and The Colour Purple are both based on Broadway musicals. The musical versions of the original ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Wonka is just a musical. But again, like, yeah, none of them have made it explicit in the trailers. I don't know why. I I guess maybe they're worried that being a musical isn't bad form or won't get people into the cinema. But then, like, when they arrive and they realise it's a musical, (laughs) then they're going to be confused. It's too late. I assume that one that Anthony Hopkins one live film is not a musical. <laughs> I assume so, but it looks so so crest. It? it just looks so it painful. Incredible. It's one of those films. There's always one at the cinema. It's like um, what's the, they're usually Sky Originals, and they've always seems got Timothy Spall on. You know, like um, Save Our Fishing <laughs> Harbour film or something. Yeah, You're talking about yeah. Fisherman's Friends. You know, you know the exact ones that I'm on about <laughs> Fisherman's Friends. I think I mix Saving the Cinema and Fisherman's Friends together. <laughs> And, and we know we know how much of a fan Alex is of the Guernsey potato peel and pie society. Or whatever it was. Genuinely good film. Genuinely. Good <laughs> I know film. you said that, but and I, I just won't have it. It's genuinely good. Hey, what's this? A contemporary selection on that song from that movie? That can't be right. But anyway, here's our guide to Saltburn and its many songs, but actually just murder on the dance floor. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out. Time for some history. Look out the window, people. It's going on around you. (laughs) Don't listen to me. Stop staring at your screens. Look around. That's history. Stick your head out. It's live. Feel the way. Yeah, this is what happens when we do some contemporary. We've brought this on ourselves. The news is bad. But when was this film actually released? When, what, 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 when was it released? December Boxing Day, wasn't it? Was actually was actually, <laughs> actually like a couple of weeks old. Do you know what day it is today? Today, sir, it's Saltburn Release Day. 
That awful sound. I can't get it out of my mouth. Oh, God, don't, don't. No, no. I'm going well, I'm I'm to get angry at that scene in a minute. Um, anyway, yeah, we're talking about Saltburn, that film that everyone seems to be talking about and some people have seen, but most people haven't. Directed by Emerald Fennell in her second directorial film. It stars the likes of Barry Keoghan, Jacob Elodie, Rosamund Pike and Richard E. Grant in a film set around England 2006 and it follows a young, isolated Oxford University student who grows an unlikely friendship with a popular aristocratic peer who later invites him to spend the summer at his eccentric family's estate. This one has, I think almost virally, has more buzz than I think any film since like the Barbie Oppenheimer stuff. And it, maybe even more so in some ways. But what do you think of the film, guys? Well, first of all, before I uh, tentatively give my opinion on Saltburn, can I just take a moment to say that it's so nice that I can utter, I watched this for the first time the other day, and it not be a stick to beat me with. <laughs> it won't happen often on this podcast, so I have to take these little victories you, when I you've can. You've only just seen Postman Pat the movie? It was a double feature. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, can you imagine those poor children? <laughs> anyway, Saltburn. As of right now, it's been two days since I watched it, or maybe a better word would be experienced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's had mm-hmm. two days to stew oh, in you, my you brain. Had the, you had the smell of vision on. I imagine the smells of this film. Oh no, I don't. I literally winced, and my body had a full-on reaction just at that idea. Yeah. And and guys, I think if I was to sum it up in a word or two, I'd perhaps go for something very pretentiousy, like pretentious-y. a gothical triumph of cinema. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I simply loved this film. Oh, really? Yeah. Great. It scooped me up in the first couple of seconds and that held is... me in its uneasy hands oh, until the very end. Oh, stop saying those words. Stop saying onomatopoeic words. Uh, I mean, stop me if I'm wrong, but I think we've spoken about this feeling before of where it's such a well-crafted movie that you you can't stop thinking about it. Like, so as soon as like the credits mm. start to roll, I'm going to bed and I'm seeing like flashes of it in my head. I'm going to work, and it's still rattling around in my Is brain. Is that good? Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely in this case, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm reading opinion pieces on it. <laughs> the film's made you Pondering potential, like, foreshadowing <laughs> and thinking about, like, how each moment in the movie could or could not have changed the fate of every character. It's it's like a, it's mm-hmm. like a Pandora's box of questions which the movie wants you to ask. I agree, I, I agree I with that part. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. I even wrote down a, a little list of questions that I thought, give an example, like, what if... Spoilers. What if Felix never met all of his parents? What if Farley didn't return to the party? Uh, how would they have affected the plan? Did he even have a plan <laughs> to a get Saltburn? <laughs> they're, they're the questions that, I guess in your way, that it seems to invigorate you about the film. They're the questions that made me annoyed with this film. How, but in what way? Like it, it's it's asking you to think about that. Don't, don't, Do you not do, like what to think, Ben? What does that even mean? <laughs> I, see, I, I, I think some of the, I don't know, I feel like some of the payoffs that it's working towards it has not earned <laughs> i i do enjoy this film i do i think it is good i think it's shot fantastically i think it's incredibly active i think the screenplay is fun um and the film is pretty fun i just think it, it it doesn't tie well together in my opinion i think some of the scenes and we'll go and talk about some of the scenes i don't think it, they need to be there in the ways that they are um or at least in the lengths that they are i feel like it detracts from what is i could i think could be a, a fairly tight film that I think just has a few too many loose ends, which it hides behind its um, sort of garish, um, either like black comedy or it's, um, I don't know, just the bouncy nature that some of the moments have. Um, yeah. I know it's supposed to be kind of off kilter, 
but I think sometimes it's just too far. <laughs> Uh, and I, I don't know. I just found it too jarring at points. I, I do like the film. I just think it could have been an amazing film in my eyes. It just loses out. Go on, Al. Well, I really love that D really loved it because I, I don't know why, but I thought that you might not. And I thought we might have to have a lot of arguments because I also love this film. Oh, thank God. I, that, I Honestly, I was so worried. <laughs> I was going, oh, it's going to be called by my name again. Yeah, but this <laughs> this is the thing because like, the, recep- the reception of this film has been divisive, uh, to say the least, I think. like There's a lot of people who have been very critical about it. Um, in particular, like they seem to think that the film doesn't necessarily have a point or it's trying to be satire but falls flat of actually making it there. But... I think like those yes. criticisms are actually missing the point of it, which is just that films can just be fun and surprising and a ride, and they don't always have to say something like earth-shattering. Uh, you know, I get that people could argue that Emerald Fennel, and this is one of the arguments been put against her, is she's someone of a particular class, betraying the rich as naive at worst, and the working class as kind of like vindictive m- murderous social cannibals at best. But I, th- <laughs> I think what's really funny about this film for me, and what's great about it, is that the film actually says that being middle class is actually the ultimate crime and shame of life. <laughs> and actually it's better to be one or the other and not in the middle somewhere. But I just think, yeah, you you were invite, you know, invited you in and played with you. That's what I've read. It's similar to what he said. <laughs> it's kind of cheeky. It's funny. It was a romp. Yeah. Characters were really well drawn, especially the, the Catton family, which are the family that live at Saltburn. And I, I mean, for me, Jacob Elodie's performance of Felix was was literally perfection. Yes. Yeah, possibly one of the sexiest people I've yeah. ever seen. That is, that is one incredibly beautiful man. But it was it was like a, it's like a reverse halo effect where I wanted to hate him from the start and I was like stop winning me round. Yeah, but this is what I've what I thought as well because we've all kind of met that like very posh person who you should really hate and they're a bit cringe and they're a bit detestable but they kind of still win you over it's like it's like the confidence of wealth that they can just they can just be themselves and and even that's a bit cringe at times because there are dark doesn't even realize he's flaunting it yeah exactly and like it's just you just can't help but just like be glued to him the entire time but i i thought that the style of it the cinematography the way it kind of like Oh, darts yeah, around and it's pieced together and, and even the script the writing of the script and some yeah. of the jokes were just were just really really laugh out loud so yeah i just i just that was great i don't think it's perfect yeah i felt some of the same things that you did ben i think like the ending in particular is quite drawn out like i think up until that point yeah it was everything feels right and then that part sort of like feels tacked on the end and there's a there's a big reveal about how he what he yes. actually did and it's like but we already we already knew that as the audience like she doesn't she thinks in that moment that the audience isn't as smart as is yeah it tries to i think it tries to tie that aspect of him in to into nicer bow yeah exactly it could have been more subtle. I, I don't really like as as fantastic as i think that performance is i i just think the character is a bit too like you either you either trying to see him as some sort of evil genius one minute who has planned this from the start to a almost uh, autistic level of shy and uncomfortable in social situations to this kind of perverse almost narcissistic confident sex crazed individual to a psychopath and and there's there's so many character aspects of that that if you play this off as a completely fun film which i think I, i tried to and would have enjoyed it more but I guess the criticism I have more of Emerald Fennel is that, to me, in interviews, she's making it out to be this really almost um, 
kind of culturally significant film how she talks about it in like oh it means this and there's all this symbolism and i'm like oh, don't don't say it just say just comment on what people are commenting on and just leave it at that and i think she don't if the, the i feel like the film is trying to especially with the ending make it bigger than what it is and it's fine with what it is uh, i mean i can't speak to what the director said but what i would say in defense of the end of the film in terms of it being drawn out i think that's it's kind of the point we're seeing the entire film from the perspective of an unreliable narrator who is making his plan sound much grander and much better than it actually was yeah it was actually just very fortuitous or potentially fortuitous the entire time but he's making himself out to be like a like a um patrick bateman style character yeah but but is it which i guess goes back to the thing of like asking the questions about his master plan did he even have a master plan he thinks yeah. he's he's a he's a mastermind, but is he actually? And that's some but, of the in, film in, ends in the with. other way. He it, it works, didn't it? <laughs> well, it, yeah. he got there in the end. Yeah, and I think I, I completely agree with what you just said there, Dee. I think it's 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 good in some ways to see how potentially opportunistic it was. I think what I'm saying is that I don't think he needed to see it. I think it's enough to imply no. it. No, no, no. And and you can actually have it there as like, well, was this planned? Wasn't it planned? Did he actually kill them? Did because you know they they leave it with the sister initially that she maybe committed suicide, and then they yeah. show him doing, it, and it just felt like, well, we can have our own interpretation of whether he yeah, planned absolutely. to do it, whether he actually did it or not. For me, but well, that's what I mean. In my opinion, we still have that because uh, yeah. we're we're seeing it from his perspective of saying I made this happen. Yeah, but really, did did he make it happen? I liked what you're saying about the interpretation because I did think that when he's saying like, um, you know, I manipulated and then you're flashed with the scenes of actually he he just had this ridiculously unrequited, not unrequited love, but just this complete infatuation with this person, which is, yep. is clear because he basically has sex with the grave. <laughs> yes. Great scene. <laughs> yeah. I don't think necessarily I would have liked it more with the end, but I just think you're you're trying to have your big payoff. And I thought there was enough payoff throughout the film. To me, I didn't dislike it, that ending. I just thought it was unnecessary because it kind of, it just drew too much attention yeah. to it all when it didn't need to. But I, I can see your point as well, D. I don't the, think the, it's... the thing with the bar when he had like, he had all the money in the wallet. It's like, at that point, why are you trying to manipulate him to come? Like, is it just like, it just feels very, I feel like it's trying to make it look like he always had this, this Again, really callous side of him. Or that's really... assuming that what we're being shown, because he's, he's saying this, to Rosamund Pike's character, yeah. we have to believe that he's well, or you're choosing to believe that he did have that money in his wallet. The way yeah. he's telling the story, but I feel like why would you lie to a person who's about to die? Like unless you're lying to yourself. If you think you're a mastermind, I think mas- I think criminal masterminds are, are so narcissistic and egotistical that he would be really reactive to anyone that's belittling him. Which he's not read in the film. He gets belittled a lot and he's able to just stomach it. And if you're going on the site like he's just void of emotion, he's not because he's actually quite emotive and kind and considerate at different times. Yeah, but then there's the bit like where he punches the mirror. But did he actually punch the mirror? Like, is he actually him. keeping his cool? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a, he's done really well. To me, it's just too, just slightly too chaotic. And and it's the same thing with the. I live for the chaos, babe. <laughs> yeah, which is good. It's the same. I mean, we'll t- we'll quickly reference um, the. I guess there's two main scenes. There's the drinking the. Um, the bathwater that Jacob Elodie's character Felix has um, just masturbated into. Mm. Is it? He, I mean, he slurps it up. He drinks that milkshake to steal the uh, <laughs> um, the line from uh, literally tongues the poor cold, doesn't he? <laughs> not not country from it. What is it? Um, there yeah, will be blood. There will be blood. Yeah. 
Yeah, he tongues the plug off. And then there's the scene. I didn't have as much problem with that. I almost quite liked the Narcissus as almost like after that scene, he was really confident. And if you take it as like, oh, he's absorbing the The magnetism of (laughs) Felix. Yeah, I mean, which is like, I guess, a thing of that's written in various books, isn't it? Of stealing the life. Yeah, I mean, that's that's clearly the the idea. Yeah, that's clearly the idea behind it. But then the the scene with the grave, I just, I don't get. (laughs) For all my, for any experience I've ever read of human behavior, I've never seen someone who just... Well, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> well, I, I guess it could be read in two ways. Either he was absolutely infatuated with him, or it was almost almost like a belittling of Felix being yeah. like, I'm, I'm... I I caused this to happen. I'm literally going to fuck your grave sort of thing. But it looks yeah. like he's crying. I mean, at one point, he's, he just gets... He's crying well, it's, and it's he, raining. he gets fully... <laughs> yeah. But the, the thing is, it's, it's both, for me, it's not, it's not even two ways, it's both ways, it's, it's both those it's things. Both. Because, because that's oh, yeah. what he says, yeah. isn't it, at the very end to, to um, Rosamund Pike's character, is that he loves him and he hates him at he times, does, yeah, and, and yeah. that's that's both of those things coming out, like yeah. it's, it's coming out in an extreme way. For me, there's really kind is, of like yeah. three shocking, in inverted commas, scenes that people have been kind of like fainting over, and one of the, there's the two that you mentioned, and there's the one with the, the let's just call it the vampire scene, for lack of a better word, in the middle. Yeah. And oh yes, of course, yeah. The only one that kind of made me sort of feel a bit uncomfortable was the first one because I think because it was the first kind of scene like that in the film, and it was just like it was more the it was more, it was more the sound. It's a sound, yeah. And um, it was just like ooh, because you can kind of really feel yourself doing it but then i think the the ones that kind of came after that i'm surprised that people have been very shocked by them because he'd already done the most shocking thing that he could do in my opinion was which was the first thing and then like from there it's like yeah. well, i'm not surprised at whatever he does now i think in that scene yeah, where the, with the grave you're waiting for him to do something like that i think because i was thinking oh he's gonna he's gonna take his trousers off and he's gonna essentially masturbate on on the grave that was what i thought he was gonna do and then he actually took it a level above that but I think like a lot of yeah. people are like, oh, it's just gratuitous for no reason. But I think every single one of those things m- makes sense or at least makes you think like, what is going on here? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's got no reason whatsoever. I think they ju- it's just, I think it's just, it's just slightly too much. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I just, well, I, it kind of, I just think it takes more center stage away from, I, I guess, the narrative. And I think it could, it's a, it can be a coherent kind of black comedy in a lot of ways. It feels like it's kind of ebbing and flowing, and then it just kind of sends like a jerking right, and then it just takes me a while to like climatize back to it. You yeah. know, in a lot of way, I think it's quite similar. Like you talked about the start about you know the most heinous thing is being middle class, and I and I make a lot of parallels to like Parasite in a lot of ways, how it talks about like the poor, yeah, I was the, just about the poor underbelly of kind of taking over, and that it that's how it seeps in. But it, at the end of the day, it's still blamed on a, on a on the middle or working class. But I just feel yeah. it, it's not as, I mean, it's, it's a bit unfair to compare it to Parasite in my opinion, but um, it just, it's not as tight. And I think, like I say, I do like this film. I guess I'm only giving the counter argument because I don't like it probably as much as you two, but I just think it could have been slightly tighter. Yeah, well, with the Parasite comparisons, I've seen a lot of people describe this film as Call Me By Your Name mixed with Parasite. And whilst those two elements are definitely there, I think it's missing the important part that makes this movie this movie, and it's the Spring Breakers element. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good re- reference. It is, it is very Spring Breakers in that way. Yeah. yeah. Comparing it to Parasite, Parasite has a very straightforward, eat the rich story, hmm. whereas I feel like this one is, I guess, more to what Alex said, it's like, everybody's horrible. Yeah. Don't root for this guy, don't root for them, don't root for anybody. Everybody's crap, which 
might be a bit of a terrible takeaway, but that's what the intention is, at least. Yeah, I think if you're wanting a takeaway point, you should kind of have focus on one point and, and make it as crazy as possible to have that one. And I just feel that Elements of Saltburn is trying to make too many points about class, about love, about just um, humanistic tendencies. It deprives one by focusing on another and then that flips at different points. And I think it just gets a bit messy. Yeah, and I think that you know th- there is a lot of subtleties in there, and, and there are commentaries in there that maybe do get drowned out at points. But I think it's that's what kind of is great about it. Is that it's kind of what you said, T, just about it's just something that you experience because there's so much going. On. And I do agree, Ben. There is a lot going it's on. An experience. But it's, it but an it's experience. kind of like it's the kind of film that you can come back to and you can join different ways. And yeah, I think that which is true because it's so beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's shot in an incredible way. And say this is only a second directorial film. She did Promising Young Woman, which is a good film. Um, she did the second season of Killing Eve, which is pretty poor, I think. <laughs> but she clearly has a talent already. Uh, you can also, if you a little teaser fact, um, you can buy Jacob Elodie bathwater on candles on Amazon. Of course can. <laughs> Anyone want to know what they smell like? It's kind Moving of. on. Any idea on potential influences for this film? Um, I saw a f- God. What was it called? Crap! I'm trying to think of the name of it. The, I guess the big example she says, which stands out to me, is Clockwork Orange, which I do think is a lot of subversion elements that are similar to Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. also says, Rebecca, have you ever seen the film Rebecca? Yes, Daphne du Maurier's, uh, oh, I guess. Yeah, Alfred novel. Hitchcock film, yeah. Yeah, which is, is, is again, a, a story of that kind of extreme infatuation. His wife dies and the new person he makes look like their wife. Um, you know, that through sort of various behaviour and mannerisms and appearance. And then Cruel Intentions, the film, which is, uh, I think, is becoming a, a huge cult film. Do you remember Cruel Intentions? Uh, I'm not sure I've seen that. Again, it's a very sort of like, um, not lurid, but it's very sort of teen, sexualized, you know, lots of, as is this, this is a film where everyone's sex fluid, gender fluid, there's lots of fluid, there's, it's just everything's fluid. <laughs> yeah, which is, an, which is an interesting thing, because that feels more of a current contemporary um, reality rather than a 2006 reality, but because uh, yeah. I was having this conversation with someone about it, and I was thinking, well... Kind of, I guess we don't really know what the the rich and wealthy were doing. I think that's kind of the point. Like maybe they have always been this way. You know, going like you know, you conjure up the images of the, the ancient Greeks and stuff. It's like very that. Greek. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I thought. It's just like yeah, it doesn't matter as yeah. long as I can get hold. But of it. it was more is more the character of Oliver. Like I guess like he didn't necessarily always feel like a two thousand and six character. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't know this was a period film. Pardon the uh, the vampire pun there, but. Until I mean, until, no. <laughs> I didn't want to even got that. I would not have even got until that. until I watched it. Until it started, I think. I think maybe I thought it could be because because like one of the main influences, Bridehead, obviously, Bridehead revisited, which is even referenced in the film. Like that's that's one of the main story yep. frameworks for this. But it's um, I so I thought oh maybe it's it's set at the same time as as that is, which is kind of like the early nineteen hundreds. But no. It's set in 2006, which I think is weird. Are you, are, you, are you aware of the novel The Go-Between, Alex? Uh, I am roughly aware of it, yeah. I know of it. Yeah, well, that, apparently that was a big influence and she quotes some stuff in the film, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Don't know what it means. Not bothered to research books. It's not for me. <laughs> I mean, that kind of comes onto it. I guess the only thing that made me feel like it was a period piece was just the repeated use of music from around the period of 2006 when they were discussing about how they wanted the music to be they said they wanted it to 
initially navigate Oliver's journey at Oxford. So I guess as a first year mostly, which and it kind of covers three years very quickly. But I mean, we can all probably remember that when you're like sort of, you know, at 16 to 18 and you every all your entire feelings that you put into song. Like, oh, this song, this means this thing to me. And, you know, I, I have my lonely songs. I've got my sort of, you know, energy club bangers. And I've got my sort of, you know, romance sort of when no one's around. I'm, you know, my secret guilty pleasures, um, which I think we might slightly get onto later. So, yeah, there's various songs of um, the period. Anyone stand out to you? We've obviously got time to pretend by MGMT, which is a big, big chance. It just feels like somebody took a scene from the first season of Skins and put it on into like a into a thriller but yeah. loneliness by tom craft in the club yes absolute oh God, floor God. filler fantastic and when i heard that i was like yeah. i've not heard this for ages yeah that's an absolute banger isn't yeah. it the other one that raised out for me was block pie i think it was this modern love i think it was yeah yeah block pie um but the only problem with that is that they've really timed that poorly because it's used in an e advert right now as well so <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. oh no so that's not great but it's a great it's used very nicely in the film because it's kind of it just really takes you back it to is. like going to like cl- like close and there's even a little bit of Mr. Brightside just because you've got to millennial anthem. tiny bit of Mr. Brightside just you've got to have it. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't play it properly and they just kind of it was a really tiny reference on it. It would it would have dropped a star if you did. <laughs> there's even a bit of a have a cheeky Christmas by the cheeky girls if, if you yeah. managed to catch yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed the uh, the use of uh, satisfaction as well when they're talking on the bridge. Oh yeah, Benny Benassi. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, great pick. I mean, there's loads. There's a, there's a bit of you know, there's a bit of Flow Rider. Um, there's a tiny bit of uh, You're Gorgeous, Baby Bird. There's a lot of little good, a lot of little good moments. Yeah, there is. Like um, that whole karaoke bit. Like um, the Richard E. Grant line when he's like, oh, "That's the best bit about karaoke. The words are on the screen." <laughs> yes. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. I mean, every line that Richard E. Grant says in this film is just absolutely perfectly delivered. He's, he's got he's got that smile, that proper sort of wicked smile. The best bit is the yeah. bit when I, I mean, at first I hated it. I must admit, you know, when uh, Felix is dead and they're all like, "Oh, tea time." And I was like, that's so black comedy that it's almost edging on the complete surreal. And But then when they're inside, I love that scene when they're obviously wheeling the, the corpse yeah. past and they're all just like with the drapes. Close the drapes! It's so... I love that scene as just the perfect capture of the stiff upper lip aspect. I just didn't like the bit when they see the body and they're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> it was a lovely boy. So the most important song that we want to mention and focus on is Murder on the Dance Floor, a song written and performed by Sophie Ellis Bexter, um, produced by Alexander and Matt Rowe for Ellis Bexter's first album, Read My Lips, all the way back in 2001. This song was five years late by the time it obviously made it to Oliver's naked dance as he, as Barry Keoghan runs a beautifully semi-choreographed number. As the song's playing out, almost diegetically, there's a slight echo to it as it's playing in the large halls of the Saltburn yeah. estate. And yes, he is but naked. What do we think about this scene, guys, as it bookends the film? Well, that was great, wasn't it? It's great. I think the thing is, like, like I said, I wasn't convinced by the sort of slightly drawn out way of telling the ending. But when this scene came on, I was like, "We'll be back. <laughs> Forget everything. Forget that last ten minutes." <laughs> I'm back, boys. <laughs> He's back, boys. And the thing is, like, the the one thing I kind of knew about this film before seeing it was that this song had a prominent part in it. And it was getting closer and closer to the end. I was like, well, when is it? When is that song going to happen? Because I think I was exactly the same. Because I thought, you know, the scene where there's the party for his birthday, you're sensing that something bad is going to happen. I was thinking, like, is he going to just 
kill everybody and they're going to play this is song. Is it going to be like a Red Wedding? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. that's genuinely where my mind went and then it didn't happen. I was like, oh, I wonder when the song's going to feature. And then when it kicked in, I was like, come on. And then you see him kind of just like grasp both sides of the uh, the open archway and it's like, this is going to be a very good ending. <laughs> and it was. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of it I was trying to just... I was, I was to- like, oh god, I was gonna say I was just tossing back and forth in my mind. <laughs> Probably the best way. Whether you're doing the, uh, the lean, you're doing the lean out of the Caprio meme in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you just pointing. <laughs> well, you just, I, was, I mean, part of it going around in my head is, is it, is that real? Because there's a reference to it earlier in the film, isn't there? Was, we were trying to figure out like. Was the reference added in just because he is well endowed, or was he well endowed because of the the line earlier in the film? Like I don't know. <laughs> that was that yeah. was going around. <laughs> yeah. Was it easy to convince him to do this scene because he knew just how proud he was? Well, this is it because I, 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 this is it. I don't know if it's real or not. I'm, I'm sure there's probably some some truth out there somewhere, but. Not there. Well, wait till the top five it's later. A no, scenario. There was a part. There was definitely a part of me who was like, "Shall I do top five male penises in film?" Shame. Stellan Skarsgård, number one. Oh, I was thinking Michael Fassbender and Shame, but uh, yeah, yeah, Michael Fassbender was the only other person I could think of. <laughs> sure, it's a sad moment when that's all. That's all I can remember about that film, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and Carrie Mulligan's performance in New York, New York. Come on, this is a great moment. Who, who is great nope, in this nope, film as just, well? By just, the way, just in a very just fast penis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's good. The, uh, the the scene in which they talk about um, what is it? They're talking about his parents being addicts is all improvised. <laughs> oh, is it where where he where he's overhearing them talk yeah. about it in the room? You know, is the rehab in Liverpool, and she's basically like all of Liverpool's <laughs> rehab, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, it's all improvised. No, it's good. Yeah, but I loved I love scene. So yeah, I I love it. So it's it's just a wonderful way to end the movie of this style. It's it's a certified noughties bopper, juxtaposed against an arguably unhinged level of triumph yeah 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 i did originally note down that oliver was cock a hoop during this scene <laughs> but i thought it was too on the nose given that it's like his his gentleman's length is swinging around and it was gentleman length um yeah i think this is the level of left field that i like like it was off kilter enough where i was like am, am, am i confused am i laughing am i you know but i'm enjoying myself yeah I love the fact that he's dancing the inverse of the tour that Felix gives Oliver when he first arrives oh, at Saltburn. Really? I, I did, I did, I not, did know not realize. Did not know that. I thought that was a lovely touch. I tried to read into this by saying that the movie wants you to retrace your steps. I mean, it ends with a character literally retracing steps whilst they celebrate killing everybody. Yeah, it's almost like, and if I'm going too far, please stop me. But I feel like it's written and performed as if they're laughing at you for ever thinking that Oliver was the good guy in this film. Yeah. <laughs> it is, which is an interesting play on it, isn't it? Because you, you are rooting for him for a, a, a large parts, then he slowly loses you, kind of, you know, once he gets to the estate, yeah. really. So, well, all the time he's at Oxford, you are kind of basically rooting for him as the sort of the black sheep, especially because you don't know things about his parents yet. And you kind of hate, just because naturally you're doing these films, you hate the sort of the rich because you know what's going to happen usually. But yeah. You, uh, I mean, it's up until this point, I kind of hate him, but then I'm like, God, I just, you know, can you hate someone who's enjoying life that much? <laughs> yeah, you would if you could, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we talk about Greek, Greek, um, <laughs> the Greeks earlier. Boy's got a Greek bod. Yeah, because he's kind of like, he's very squat in stature, but he's just like. He's very sculpted. It's just very, it's not like chiseled. Yeah. It's just like, just like, yeah, he is, he does like, like a small squat man, doesn't he? So, yes. We've obviously just waxed lyrical about um, Kyogen's, um, you know. <laughs> what was it, forward. gentleman? Like, um, 
Um, what do we think about the song? So this song, I mean, we've we, we've heard this, you know, probably in our very early teens. Do it, did you have a thought of it back then or pre Saltburn? Yeah, I liked it. Right, yeah, I mean, it... <laughs> I've always I've always liked it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 a quintessential song of our youth. I think, but oh, you know, pop song of our youth. I don't think it was it was massive at the time, wasn't it? Everyone knows this song. Everyone yeah. knows that she's the daughter of someone who used to host Blue Beer. We all know the facts. So that's that's Pixter. We all know yep, the facts. Yeah, she's had a bit of a renaissance of late. Like she did a thing, didn't she? For like she did like a full dancerthon and stuff. Yeah, she's done various performances. She was on the Pyramid stage at Glastonbury this she year. She did the song for Mog's Christmas on Christmas Eve. If you watch Mog's Christmas, she did. It's really, yeah. it a really yeah. nice song. Yeah, she's having a she's having a moment. Yeah, cover it at the end of this year, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Would you say that Sophie Alex Baxter is very close to national treasure status? You know, if I think if this film continues to do the rounds it's doing, I mean, I think it's like, I think it was Amazon Prime's seventh greatest, like, opening weekend of any film. And I think so, I read something about, like, on across the, I forget how they measured, like, TikTok and Instagram, I don't know if it's likes or plays or whatever, said that across those two platforms the marketing has reached over 166 million people i guess just from likes um shares yeah plays tiktok tiktokers yeah um tickety talk maymays fine because yeah. uh, sophia specs has reperformed this not naked i will add uh, it looks like she's doing it on a weatherspoon staircase which gives <laughs> it a different feel i'll definitely say that <laughs> So in its original run back in 2001, the song peaked at number two in the UK singles charts and it stayed on the charts for 16 weeks. And uh, I don't know what was number one. We'll have to look that up. Come on. Googling. Go on, Google it. Oh, I've got what number one was. Go on. It was an absolute classic. Go on. Gotta Get Through This by Daniel Beddingfield. Ah, yeah. A a better song. So yeah, the song was a top 10 hit worldwide, but did not chart in the states it did not make it on to the hot 100 it made it onto something called the maxi singles sales chart whatever that was but yeah they, someone said that it was the most played song in europe in 2002 so it clearly had a big run but now since the release of saltburn it hit number one on the spotify's viral us singles chart and number 19 on the itunes singles chart and it has entered the hot 100 for the first time ever I think it's went on to number 98 on the 13th of January this year, Woo. which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So she said when she agreed to the use in Saltburn at the time, all she knew was the name of the film, that they wanted the song in full, and someone would dance to it naked. So she was happy with that. She said the first time she went to see it as well, she went with her child and parents. I feel really bad for her. <laughs> <laughs> her son, I think he's only young, feels that the um, it's not a very good song. So... Um, Support your mother more. It's not fair, is it? Much prefers the songs of his dad's band, such as uh, "Fill My Little World." Is that is that is the, is the dad the feeling from the feeling? Did you didn't know? I that did he, not know that. that. Sophie Spexter's husband is from the feeling. Is 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 Mr. Feeling? He's not the singer, but he's the guitar. I have no the guitar idea. player in the feeling. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! I could have done a top five fe- the, the feeling songs at the end well, of this. Were you, were you absolutely good of? Never be lonely. <gasps> Kaleidoscope. Absolutely. I did not I mean, know. I mean, come that. on, so. Oh, well, I'm going so. on a deep dive after this. They were, they, were they over around this time? Were they around around this time? They, um, they, were, they, were, they were probably yeah. around around 2006. Maybe not as early as Sophie's World. Yeah. They could have been in the film. They could have. That would have been a good. That would have been yeah. a good. Captured a moment. Sophia Spexer said um, that it feels very magical. 
this being in the film. Uh, and if I'm honest, I don't think I've completely processed it really, which makes sense. <laughs> you can imagine someone stood there with a microphone as soon as she walks out of the film. It's a song I've been singing for over 20 years. I still love singing it. I love the, pe- the way people react when I do it live. And for new people to be discovering it, for it to be making new memories with people is kind of beautiful. It does look like I- I've watched, I've rewatched some uh, performances of hers over the past year. I love someone that can play the song that has made them famous and still look like they enjoy it. I hate when you see an artist who clearly... I always think of Warren and Cherry Pie that said the worst thing they ever did was make that song. <laughs> no, it's a very extreme example. But it's like, um, what's his face who did the New Year's uh, countdown? Rick Astley. Rick Astley. Just f- looks like he absolutely just is grateful every minute that people still listen to him and people still enjoy him. Every time he sings, never going to give you up. He just looks like he's having the time of his life. Yeah, but I mean, he's got loads of great songs. Well... <laughs> well, he's got a lot of great covers. No, he does do a lot of good covers, but yeah, great songs on his own. You're trying to tell me you don't like Together <laughs> together Forever? Yes. Together. I enjoyed that when you sang that there, but you were actually singing Shakira. <laughs> was that actually? <laughs> together. To be together. I'll be there and you'll be near. That's the deal, my dear. Top five. Now, we, so we've just waxed lyrical about this scene, but I want to know, guys, for our top five, what are the five best dance numbers in a non-musical film? This is going to be difficult. Now, this was popular, so I've compiled 11 lists. There is one that I am so confident you will not get, so let's try and aim for the other four, guys. Okay. Well, whenever someone says a dance scene in a film, I always think of one particular dance scene. Which is? The one in Pride. Oh no, yeah, great, not there. great scene though. Not there. We should cover that film. I know exactly which film? you mean. Yeah, no, we should. We Such should. We should cover Pride. Yeah. I mean, the one that jumps to my mind is Tom Cruise in Risky Business. Is that the film? Yeah, number five. Number five. So dance, dance scenes. Oh, this is difficult. Like dance numbers, yeah, dance scenes in non-musical movies. Um, the one from Barbie, the Ken one. <laughs> No, no. Some of these articles may have been written because that was that, that was truly bizarre. The one in Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, oh. <There's, laughs> when he just started dancing on the bomb. There's one that's all, that was in every single list, very high up. It's very, very famous. Napoleon Dynamite. Mm, it was on quite a few lists, but yeah, I think it's uh, on the ninth on the compiled list. Oh, American Psycho. You know, it was on a lot. Mm. Uh, what's this? Seventh. Oh, for seventh. Sake. Seventh. Uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah, Breakfast Club 4. Breakfast Club is number 4. Yeah, so you got 5 and 4. Ferris Bueller? Nope. That's interesting. It wasn't on a lot of lists, but yeah, that's a good time. Well, that's, I suppose it's like almost like a parade, isn't it? Oh, yeah. uh, Pulp Fiction. There you go, number 1. Oh, that's a good one. Number 1. That's a good one. Now, this is the thing. Number 3, I just don't think you're going to get, because it's a French film from 1964. <laughs> but it seems to be clearly a lot of potential articles that I was reading. But you should get the other one. I mean, obviously, like something like Dirty Dancing um, is not a musical. And that's dancing in it. Yeah, no, no. Shit, we covered it. As it even said, it, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. No. At the end. Yeah, no. No. Nope. Uh, at the end of This Is The End with the Backstreet Boys. Let's see, that was that, that was in quite a few lists. Uh, do any of the step-up films count? <laughs> now, it was in It's A Small Child. Oh, is it A Little Miss Sunshine? It's Little Miss Sunshine, yeah. yes. Yeah, of course. It's Little Miss Sunshine. Yes, <laughs> 
Um, it is a very good scene in Little Miss Sunshine. It's probably one of the best. Honorable mm. mentions. Um, the mask. Honorable oh, mention. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Cuban 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 Pete yes. was. <laughs> um, the dance number in Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Which oh, of course. On this podcast. Yeah, Tropic Thunder with uh, Tom oh, Cruise yeah. at the end. So, what was the name of the What's French, the French film? film? Oh yeah, sorry, uh, Bande à Part. Mm. I maybe butchered that. I think it's called like Band of Outsiders. It's a Jean-Luc Godard film. Mm. I could say more, but I will bore you all. Um, it's got like a weird scene. They dance in a cafe and it's like a weird choreographed scene. Mm. It's one of those. I don't know. It always gets put on lists like this. Um, influential film. No, I'm going to stop. Okay. So because we specifically covered Murder on the Dance Floor, uh, let's do movie or song. So Alex, what is better, the movie or the song? Ooh. Hmm. It's always hard when we do one like this because we are a film and a music podcast, but I think I always lean towards the film. Because I, I think I just really, really enjoyed this film. I do also love the song. Um, one thing I did think about the song was, as much as I loved the scene and I loved the music, you could have maybe had a different song, and it might, it would still have probably been great. And I would kind of use that as a measure before. But murder on the dance floor, Alex. It's about murder. Yeah, but there wasn't a dance floor because this is why I was thinking that it was going to come earlier when there was like life is his dance yeah. floor. That's something that Emerald Fennel would. Put I don't want to go against the song being in the scene, but I feel like you could have used something else, and it would have. I don't think the song itself added loads to it, so I think I'll just say film. Yeah, that, that's where I am with this. So it's I'm going to say film as well. What about you, Ben? See, yeah, I enjoy Saltburn, but it's just like I, like you said about um, almost like she she's a British darling. I just I think this song is just so quintessentially British. <laughs> I feel like two thousand and one would be very different without this song. Yeah, I mean, how many times has it been used on Strictly? <sighs> the, the the amount of times that I've been singing this song over the past few days is ridiculous. I almost I have a playlist on Spotify which is just my favorite songs at the moment, littered with things from the past few months. Plus Murder on the Dance Floor. I just can't help but bop to it in the car. <laughs> yeah, bop is the perfect word to describe this song. Yeah, it is a proper kitchen dance song. Like it's a proper I'm cooking and you I can, can sing just like slightly spoons. move my feet. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is exactly that, and I've probably done that several times. <laughs> so that brings an end to another episode of that song from that movie. Let us know on one of our many social media platforms what you think of the movie. Ben, what is our social media handle? At TSFTM Pod. Thank you. So you can help the podcast in many ways, and one of those ways is on a on is on Reddit. So Alex, what random subreddit should they share this on this time? Oh no, I don't know if you're gonna throw this to me. Um the 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 just the subreddit of the band the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice. That is perfect. You can also help the podcast by telling your friends, leaving us a five star review wherever you're listening, buying our merch, signing up to our Patreon. All the links are in the show's notes. Also, if you're listening for the first time and you got this far, you clearly must have enjoyed it, right? So why not hit that subscribe button? <laughs> now, this is the part of the episode where I'd normally do the goodbyes. But before I do that, I wanted to shout out our new look, our new logo, uh, designed by the very talented at MRDRBWL on Twitter. So that's murder ball without the vowels. Um, we're absolutely over the moon with how it came out and think he did a fantastic job. And we hope that everyone loves it too. So, yeah, thank you very much for that, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So all that's left now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself. Goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Bring on the slutty prairies. <laughs> uh, that was so close to being my opener. Um, <laughs> and goodbye from Ben. Oh, I just, I'm upset because the feeling we're playing in Chiswick in 2020. That was the last post on the subreddit. <sighs> you missed it. Uh, Four years ago. 
So, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Holy Sidewind has been announced as their support act all four years ago. (laughs) Fill my little world right up, right up.